Rotsurua City Councillor Trevor Maxwell is a keen guitarist in Kapahaka Stalwart who spent years as one of the main tutors of Tiarua group Ngāti Rangiwibahi. Trevor talks about his experience in learning the guitar as a kid and teaching those unique guitar chords to others. I guess we were all influenced by the music of the time. Um, and uh, there were some good guitarists around. And, um, you know, when we grew up in the Beatle era and they brought out George Harrison, uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, they, they were playing in chords that we'd never touched before and changing to various things. And uh, even like now how some people go to Michael Jackson's tunes and that, we are we can it can be influenced by some of the very good guitarists. In this week's Tiahika, we continue our theme for this year's New Zealand Music Month, where we explore the guitar. Enga mana enga reo tauti mai ano ki tene hotaka. Good Justin Murray tene. For many years, Trevor Maxwell was a tutor of Te Arawa Kapahaka group Ngāti Rangiwibahi. The group have won Te Matatini twice, the first in 1983 and again in 1996. Trevor tutored alongside his late wife Atareta, affectionately known as Dinner. He grew up in Awaho, Rotorua, with a large family. There was one guitar and one ukulele in the home. They were actually living in Awaho in our house, uh, not far from the marae there by the river. We had no electricity in our house and we used to get our water from the river. But we had a big family, nine brothers and sisters, five boys, four girls, and I had an older brother, then me, then uh, my brother Taka and brother Hippy, and we all helped each other, we taught each other. I learned from my younger brothers because they were picking up a lot faster. But because I was the oldest, I got to play the guitar before they did. My older brother, he worked in the Timberman and he cut one of his fingers so he couldn't play the guitar too much, but he was good on a ukulele. So I, I think it was because our fun in that was we had one guitar and one ukulele in the house and we used to play and teach each other chords and and that was important i think starting on the ukulele was was good it helped you get get chord structure rhythms and and strumming uh, but i'd have to say that my younger two brothers were a lot better than oh, and they went on to play in bands uh, they won the battle of the bands one year with the with their band Grapevine. Uh, so, yep, taught from there and um, uh, learnt all the basic chords and then, um, so we used to play it each night. For me, the, one of the biggest influence of playing the guitar 
for me was Hemi Huata. Kenan Wee Huata's son was the guitarist for the Adorpu up in, um, they lived in Hamilton. And Hemi married um, Ngamoni Huata, a judge now. But, but he died in 1983, sadly. Um, fixing a tyre on the way from oh. Hamilton through to Rotorua onto Hastings Festival. That's how we remember it so well. A car hit him while he was changing a tyre. But as a guitarist, he was good. He knew how to strum it and drive a group. And boy, did I get alongside him in my early years. Paraire, his brother, was very good at um, uh, taking the group, but Hemi was the, the guitarist and banging it out, banging wow. the sound out. As Kapahaka tutors, Trevor says he understood the crucial role of the guitarist. They can make or break a group by playing awful or by playing, not keeping it tuned, your guitar tuned to piano, broken strings, all that kind of thing that are important because you only have one or two guitars in the whole group and everyone has to hear that note. My jobs at our rehearsals was one when I ended up not being on the guitar was quickly changing strings over We used to always go on stage with two guitarists, two players and two spare ones in the centre of stage, tuned, ready to go, brand new set of strings on each. Uh, so that if there's a broken string, and it happens, it hap- you can play for a whole sun. Weekend rehearsals, no strings break. You go on stage and your first height of my string can break. It, it's just one of those things. And also over the summer, your fingers tend to sweat, and, and that happens. And it's keeping it tuned and knowing how to... When you uh, string a guitar, is it's actually taking it higher than bringing it back and keeping it overnight in tune and um, yeah very important and can I tell you one thing and um, I used to one of the things I'm quite proud of and they're all good Howie is a very good guitarist he's gone way past me but I taught them all taught Howie taught Tim taught my son Enia and I used to play tricks on them we'd have our own little whānau rehearsals on the lawn then I get the boys outside for guitars. Then they would take the girls for their poise and tame them, and we'd have about three or four guitars. And I'd go up the scale on the show. Right, follow me. E, F, F sharp, G, uh, A flat, A, B flat, B, C. And used to test them with, with knowing where the chord structure is because it's good to be able to say to them, give us a C, and there's a C, or give us an A. Give us a G, A minor, and um, used to do all this, and um, and uh, used to play them off one another. I'd whisper in Tenzi and say, 
Give me a ring at home, I'll give you a few more chords. And then go to Howie. Ring me at home and I'll give you a few more chords. And they'd do that, we'd play it over the, over the phone and they were getting better and better. And then in his case, we used to, we used to say, uh, go up the scales. If you make a mistake, you've got to do the dishes. E, A, B, F, A, B, all the chord structure and everything. Then you make a mistake, you'd have to do the dishes. But it was a neat incentive way. And now they're even better than I am. Yeah. It's just <laughs> Good planting teacher. that seed. Planting that seed. In 2012, Dr. Michael Brown completed his thesis, Making Our Own Two Ethnographies of the Vernacular in New Zealand Music, Tramping Club Sing Songs and the Mighty Guitar Strumming Style. As part of his research, Dr. Brown conducted a range of interviews about the Māori strum, sometimes referred to as the Jinga Jik or the Junga Juk strum. Both are onomatopoeic terms, meaning the names are said as to imitate the sound. According to Dr. Brown's thesis, there were English terms like the party strum or the kiwi strum. I met Dr. Michael Brown recently, who works at the Alexander Turnbull Library in Wellington, to get an insight into his research. I did a, a series of case studies of different kinds of New Zealand music um, of this, this sort of informal dimension what I called in the thesis vernacular music, which is a sort of term to imply that it's got that sort of grown into quality like our vernacular language has or languages have, um, and also that this kind of music is sort of available to everybody. Um, the particular case study of, of interest to us is one that I uh, did about the Māori strumming style, or it might be called the Māori strum. Um, people have a lot of different names for it, but it is a, a way of playing guitar that um, is very popular in New Zealand. It's been around for a long time. We see it in a, or we hear it in a lot of different contexts, including uh, sort of party sing-along or sort of social settings like that. We hear it in kapahaka um, and we also hear it coming through in some of our recorded music heritage as well, um, going a long way back. It's a, so it's a very pervasive style um, in our country, and I would, I would go so far as to say it's probably the most popular guitar style that's come out of New Zealand. I don't think there's many it's other contenders, really. Well, I think that it's um, crossed over uh, into uh, the sort of Pākehā musical world in quite a big way as well. Um, but then again, you know, I'd say it's still predominantly associated with, with Māori music. So there were some videos that I sort of saw online on YouTube with um, Tiahu Karamu, Charles Royal. Um, was he part of your research? Yes, Charles was one of a number of um, guitarists that I interviewed um, for the thesis. Uh, he showed me the styles of strum that he had learned, that he'd, he'd grown up with and... and, and uh, brought into his playing um, and also um, talked about where he thought it had come from, um, why it was so popular um, in settings like kapahaka or at parties mm. and I talked to a number of other um, people as well, um, Himiana Grace, I should, I, should, I should give a bit of a shout out to those people who helped me with it, yes. so Himiana, Ray Isaacs, 
fantastic um, street entertainer and his friend Claude Hooper, some people down at uh, Pepitea Marae uh, in the Ngāti Ponuki Young Māori Club, um, mm -hmm. Bill Nathan and Michael Priest especially who was my mentor teaching me guitar um, in the Kapahaka context um, and many others. So did you come across any different strumming styles? Um, we don't have a guitar, Michael and I, as we're sitting here talking, but so the jing 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 Are there any particular iwi-centric, area-centric guitar strums that you found out? I think that um, there are those generic strums like the jingajik or Jack or Jingalik or Jungjak or Chinchik or Jingalik. There's many different versions of that name um, and that strum. I think what is so interesting about this style is that it's not taught formally. You know, you don't go to a guitar teacher to learn the Māori strumming style. Um, so you tend to um, pick it up. It's kind of like a knack. Yep. And, and in the process of that, each person, I think, makes the strum their own. Yeah, well, it can become, um, at one level, it's a very accessible style that, you know, you can pick up quite easily if once you get that knack, um, and people do as children, um, pick it up quite easily. At another level, um, it can become quite a sophisticated style, you know, quite beautiful. Um, we know that particular kapahaka groups, for instance, have a very distinctive styles of strumming. Oh. So the wakahuia, for instance, have a very fast strummy style their guitarists tend to play. Your question about the iwi-specific styles is very interesting. I, I think there's probably more work to be done on that. I also was told by some people that some of the Māori colleges and schools have particular styles. So someone talked about the St Joe's Strum, St Joseph's Girls' School in, in Hawke's Bay. Um, so it may be that particular styles um, have been passed down in some of these settings. Um, where it's been, um, you know, within a kapahaka group, you, I, the impression I get is that groups become used to the sound of their guitarist and so they perhaps like for a successor guitarist to do something quite similar. Is there, is there anything to do with, because I know during the 19, oh gee, maybe 50s, 60s, especially on the, that I know of, on the East Coast, composer by the name of Tweeny Nawai composed a lot of songs that were based on ditties. And the guitar strum reflected that as well. So is there any influence there? Yes, I think that um, it's been said that uh, Tweeny Nawai's use of popular tunes as vehicles for her words um, was a really important way of maintaining the language mm. and maintaining the, the, the themes that um, she felt was important, that young people could pick up these songs very easily because of the use of those tunes, because they were the tunes they heard on the radio. Right. 
And I think that the guitar has to be, should be seen as a, a similar vehicle for ensuring that um, transmission and that kind of revival um, of um, Māori Kaupapa, really. Yeah. So. Um, so so it it was it, it was a, an instrument that enabled those those um, those songs to flourish. Um, because you know it would be it would be supporting the tune and it would be providing that beat. Do we see or hear the Māori strum in popular music though, or is it just confined to party? I mean, you know, um, whānau gatherings, kapahaka, schools. Is it a now popular music scene? Do you think? Well, you did mention that before, right? Yes, yeah. I think I think it has come through um, in a number of ways. Um, I think almost, I think almost by accident at a lot of the times. Um, but in terms of Māori popular music, we have a very um, important group, the Howard Morrison Quartet, who featured a very strong guitarist called Jerry Merito. And you hear the strum there, yeah, very strong strum. Then we also have a interesting. I mean, there's many other recordings we could talk about. Yeah. Uh, but but a kind of. A significant one is a, is a great seven-inch called Māori's on 45. Have you ever heard that? Māori's on 45. Yes. And this um, was produced by Dalvanius Prime. Everybody sing a Māori song The tunes are simple, try and sing along The ukulele, it will play for you The melody and the guitar too came out in the early 80s and it sold tens of thousands of copies and that's got, it's actually about being at a party and having the guitar and the ukulele going on the strum and then it's a whole medley of classic waita. I learned a lot about uh, the history of this style what really surprised me was the degree to which people have made it their own on an individual level. And that comes through in, or it's reflected in all the different names that people have given this strum. And I said a few of them before, all the jingajiks and the jingalats. Actually, I've got them written down there, I've got them you? written down and they, they pop up in um, articles and, and, and novels and people, people use them all over the place. So they are onomatopoeic. In other words, when we say the word jingajik, it's actually imitating the sound of that strum. Jingajik, jingajik, jingajik. Of course, the Māori strum is the most popular, but there was the Shannon strum, the St. Joe's strum, the Bush strum, the Country strum, East Coast strum, the Kiwi strum, the Party strum, the fish and chip strum, which is a great favourite of mine, because that's onomatopoeic as well, if you think about it. Fish and chip, fish and chip. Oh, so fish and chip. Oh, so you're actually saying the words fish and chip. Yeah, the fish and chip strum. The fish and chip strum. State house guitar, this is like, um, I think, well, it is a really all-purpose strum, that basic jingajig. It's um, very catchy, it's very infectious, it kind of gets your toes tapping. And, really importantly, 
This is another thing I learned coming out of it. I think a really uh, crucial reason why it's become so popular, this style, is you can hear it being played, a guitar being played, even when there is a ropu of 40 people singing at the top of their voices or a guitar with, you know, glasses clinking and people That's struggling right. to be heard above all over it. You can still hear this ding a jing a ding a jing in the background, you know, if you're singing. So it's eminently practical. Kia ora, Dr Michael Brown, Curator of Music at the Alexander Turnbull Library. The moon deserts the sky Till all the seas run dry Till then I'll worship you Sing-along parties, kapahaka, show bands, popular music and even buskers is a sure way to hear the jingajik or the Māori strum. This was also the case for guitar player Puawai Kens, who dubbed one of her cousins Jimi Hendrix. In the early 1990s, Puawai had formal guitar lessons during high school. Over the years, Puawai has performed alongside her friend Tude Reedy at Māori Kaupapa gigs across Wellington. They've gone by a few names, Hori Potter, The Flying Riwai or Enter the Flagon. Puawai says it's all about playing music and having fun with it. Today has featured on Tiahika in previous years and was a founding member of Te Hua o Te Tapu Trust and a member of the band Soul Power. I caught up with Pua Wai at her home in Wellington. I picked up my first guitar when I was about maybe 10 or 11, but I went into lessons when I was 13. Uh, I was trained in flamenco guitar. I only did flamenco lessons for a couple of years and then I went into jazz and classical. So I was, you know, being taught for about 10 or so years. Yeah. I didn't do it past, past university. Um, I was really into music when I was in high school, played, um, learned drums and bass, guitar, uh, but, and trumpet, an abortive attempt at learning trumpet. <laughs> yeah, guitar ended up being my instrument. Wow, and the banjo, you've had a little bit of a tutu oh, on yeah, the banjo. Oh yeah, the banjo, harmonica, yeah, I've had tutu with a lot of those things. Again, just sort of tutu though, kind of So stuff. you had like uncles around you, role models who were musicians, you know how we all... Oh yeah, a lot of guitar playing around me, guitar parties, jingle jacks, my cousins who would play. I haven't seen him in years, but I had a cousin called Jared Napeka who was an amazing guitarist when we were all kids. We called him Jimi Hendrix. There were particular cousins who were just astounding uh, and weren't just all about hakastrum. You know, they, they were actually doing, you know, just cool breaks and leads and everybody loved George Benson and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Stevie Vai. So we had all of those kinds of things being played around me. What's the um, challenges of playing the guitar at first when you started learning? Probably, I was the only... Uh, I was at all at an all-girls school, and I was the only girl who played the guitar the way I did. Uh, but solitary when you don't have a lot of girls who were playing that kind of style around you. Uh, no, the hardest things when you first start is toughening up your fingers, practicing and practicing and practicing. I used to sleep with my guitar when I was a kid, sleep with it, wake up, 
play, 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 play. Take McTie everywhere. We go to Fano reunions, and I just be just isolate myself like a little nerd and play the guitar while everything was happening around me. So, Tao, how many guitars have you owned in your life? Five or six, maybe. Oh yeah, that's yeah, not, not too bad. Too, not too many. I tend to stick with my guitars and be a bit loyal to them. I smash the crap out of them. The first guitar was given to me by, by my father, and he gave it to me when I was up at a Bobby Brown concert when I was 12. <laughs> so, yeah, this is kind of this awkward gift he gave to me when I was at Bobby Brown, and I had to take a pick down on the bus. My second guitar was my learning. It was a classical guitar that my mother bought. And, you know, the times were tough when I was little, and she um, managed to get our guitar. We had it on lay-by for months, and then um, from Mayer's Music Store, which is on Grey Street. I don't think it's there now. And um, and she also, when I told her I wanted to learn, uh, even though we weren't, yeah, we were fully not rich, she went and paid $25 a week for me to go into lessons with um, a Greek flamenco guitarist. And so every, uh, every Tuesday, I think, after school, I'd race home from the... Uh, race home because we live in the country so to walk pretty far from where our bus stopped um, and meet up with this guy called Harry and we'd have an hour lesson and those lessons were amazing they were they he didn't um, teach me via written music it was just all by ear but um, he taught me good technique that mm-hmm. I still use today So your guitar today, her name's Betty. Yeah. So let's talk about Betty. What kind of guitar do you have? Oh, it's a Cole Clark. It's a beautiful guitar. It's like I think it's like the fourth or fifth guitar I bought. Um, but it was the most expensive. I think it was like two grand or something. It was crazy. I mean, other people... Harry, my flamenco guitarist, he actually spent like 15 grand or something on his guitar. And he had to fly to Spain to go and get it. He... Um, he went to a particular Aluthia, a guitar builder in Spain, in Manila, I think, and had to audition to get that guitar. I know, cray cray. That's you have to the earn heights it, of the heights of skill. This this Luthier would would not give his guitars out to anybody who was of sub, substandard quality or substandard skill. So um, that was awesome. But um, yeah, Michael Clark just came from the rock shop. <laughs> So, yeah, nice, really nice guitar, Australian-made. You know, what are you looking at from $600 to a $2,000 guitar when you go when you went guitar shopping? You should be looking for a solid top. The wood is important. Don't get wet bix wood because, I mean, that's good for a beginner or if you just want a, a jammy, you know, chuck-in-the-batch kind of guitar. Mm. But with solid wood, it, the wood, if you look after it, it ages and it, it improves the sound, even if it's a cheapy guitar you've bought. It should handle well in your hands, like it should feel comfortable playing it. Um, it takes me ages to find a guitar. It took me about two years to decide to buy the Cole Clark. But then I've seen other guitars that were only like $300 or something. And after 10 years or so, when they've been really well looked after, their sound is just as beautiful as the thousands of dollars kind of guitars. Pua Wai has also played guitar alongside neo-soul singer Rhea Hall. I learned to be a better guitarist with Rhea because she's very exacting and very disciplined. Um, and she's very hard on herself too, which I think a lot of her fans don't really understand. She's she's very hard on herself when it comes to her performing. Um, and in doing so, she demands that from the people around her who are playing with her. 
So it, it, it made me become more precise because up until that point, I've I'd been playing a lot with my best mate, um, Two Day Ready. Don't be scared of don't be scared of hurting fingers. Don't 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 give up when you think the chords are too hard to finger straight away. You just you just have to learn to jump from one chord to another and you get faster and faster. And it's easier when you're playing and singing because after a while you forget what your fingers are doing. Mm. Um, and the other, the best thing is play with people who are better than you all the time. Go and seek out people who are better than you. I was lucky I had a lot of cousins around me and um, guys around me when I was at high school who were better than me and who taught me really well. Mm.